0: Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8: 30 or 10 a.m. or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.s. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left and then the king will say to those on his right the sheep come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance we didn't get to this part yet then he will say to those on his left the goats depart from me you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels wow right (laughs) I imagine there's quite a few thoughts going around in the room after hearing that passage. Is this about hell? Am I on the right side of the story? I mean, there's no way I'm not a sheep, right? Is this what the future is going to look like? Can I get by with a few of those things? Is it multiple choice? Tell me I'm good to go, Matt. We're wondering what's going on here. And then some of us who maybe didn't grow up in church or who are new to this text can't get past one thing. What did the goats do to deserve this fate? Why is Jesus so pro-sheep, right? I mean, is it okay if I like goats? I mean, for me, right, on the likability scale, goats and sheep probably pretty even, right? I mean, my daughter Avery would probably even choose to be pro-goat based on our most recent trip to the petting zoo. Even if they are condemned or cursed. I mean, come on. Goat yoga, right? Who's done it before? Okay, nobody in the room. Never mind. Uh, There is something called goat yoga, but I mean, there's nothing called sheep yoga, at least not yet. So I wonder, who is pro-goat? And who is pro-sheep? There's no judgment here. Well, maybe there'll be some judgment today. Hopefully, it's just not what you're expecting. Good morning, my name is Matt Delano. I'm the discipleship minister here at this church. Uh, We just want to say again, it's so good to be together this morning. Um, Man, hymn of heaven gets me every time. I don't know about y'all, but... We're so lucky uh, to have this praise team here and, and to lead us in that. But we just want to say, if you're new here, again, we're glad you're here. I'd love to catch up with you after service. Uh, this morning, you'll see that we're closing out a series um, called Picture This. We're taking a moment to engage with God about what it means to serve in the here and now. Over the past few weeks, we've engaged with, okay, like what does it look like to, for Jesus to call us to discomfort to risk what is uh, comfortable, to choose something that's hard. Uh, We've talked about what it means for Jesus to call us to do things often in the shadows, to shine light in the dark. But today I want us to envision a fresh way, a new way in which we sometimes talk ourselves out of. And I want to invite us to jump in together. We're going to be looking uh, at the heart of the text of Matthew 25, Um, And Matthew 25 is in the Gospel of Matthew, which is one of the four Gospels. Uh, It's also the first book of the New Testament. Um, And this is one uh, of the Gospels in particular where, or it is a Gospel where in particular Jesus, we learn about Jesus. We learn about what He did, what He said, and who He was for. And this is important today. Um, And if you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn there, but... Anytime we go to the text and you need to see it, we'll, we'll have it on the screen as well. And I don't know about you, but I haven't heard a sheep and goats sermon in a while. Actually, I don't know if I've ever heard a sheep and goats sermon. I keep wanting to say sheeps, but I know that's not right. But oftentimes this text is used as uh, Jesus using a metaphor to teach us about the future judgment that every one of us will experience, right? The question of whether we're on the right side or the wrong side. A normal conversation in our culture, right? We like to tell people who's on the wrong or right side. And the questions that seem to be answered here are, who is going to be loved and righteous on the right side of the throne and who is going to be on the gates or on a train to the gates of hell? Really good stuff, right? But today i got an answer for you that I think isn't an answer to either of those questions. Instead, just maybe this is an answer to right now. To where we are in this space at this moment. And I, I know, I made a joke of it earlier, but the sheep and the goats meant something, right, to the audience that Jesus was speaking to. It made sense in that context and... I'm not going to go deep into what that would mean uh, for them today, but just this is the simple way to put it. The sheep equal good, interested in one another, need one another. Goats, bad, independent, selfish, okay? That's all we have time for today with that. But there's so much to unpack here, and we so often avoid it, right? So I've seen this sermon used to incite fear, um, I've seen this uh, passage used to incite, incite fear in an evangelistic effort, right? Turn away from your ways or you're going to be damned. Um, I've, I've seen it used as a way to pat yourself on the back <laughs> for your future destination. I mean, the parsing of whether you're on the right side or at least whether you can convince others that you're on the right side. I mean, that's at the heart of our culture, right? Our culture of insincerity, our culture of any means necessary posturing I mean, we often think of so many things this way, right? And we try to convince our friends or who we want to impress what we think will get us on their good graces or on their right side. But this doesn't work when it comes to following Jesus. We focus on answering important questions, right? Like, are we pro-cereal first or pro-milk first, right? Are we pro-texting LOL or pro-texting ha right? Are we pro-Mac? Are we pro-Dell? Are we pro-cat or pro-dog? All things that tend to make us want to laugh, but we also get heated over examples like are we pro-choice or pro-life? All things more distracting and infuriating than action-inducing. And what's even crazier is that Oftentimes, we bounce back and forth about what we are for depending on the company around us. Not because we've been transformed, but because we like to play both sides. And of course, we can evolve and change, and, but sometimes in our culture, that change is simply changing for the sake of getting into the right spaces, the right clubs, and the cushion you need to feel comfortable, right? Right? not the transformation that pushes you to risk discomfort or that pushes you to shine your light in the dark versus just doing good when exposed. When we, try to find, when we choose this trajectory of trying to find ourselves on the right side, we lose. And others around us lose too. We miss the point of why we do what is right That we are for real people, not temporary institutions or fitting metaphors. I mean, it's easy to talk and only talk in hypotheticals and become hypocritical. But the key today, as we follow Jesus, as we wonder whether we want to follow Jesus, is that this passage is not just about what it'll be like in the future, but whether we stand for Jesus right now in practice. Because if we don't, then we have to recalibrate what we say we're for. And wonder if that trumps acting for Jesus right now in practice. I mean, it's easy for me, right, to like send somebody a text and be like, thoughts and prayers, right? It's easy to do that. It's hard to go... As soon as you hear the news, get up, drive across town and pray for someone who's grieving, right? It's easy for me to talk about prison justice and at the same time avoid going into a prison and meeting a real human being who I rarely have to think about. It's easy to virtue signal in hopes people around me will think that I stand in certain places so that it will pay dividends. But I wonder for myself this morning, for us this morning, what if we spent more time serving those around us than serving our egos? What if we spent more time serving than trying to convince people that we couldn't possibly fall on the goat side of this passage? Because there's a difference between right belief and choosing to practice in the way of Jesus. Jesus is calling us to the convergence of benevolence and evangelism. They're, they're inseparable because loving our neighbors, alleviating suffering, are su- they're deeply connected to sharing the gospel. They're indistinguishable, and the good news to the least of these is not that someday things will just be better. It's that we're going to try and alleviate your suffering right now because it matters. And a beautiful reality is clear in the text. And I think I missed this the first time. Or at least how big it is. It says, The righteous will answer Jesus, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Not even the righteous knew they were meeting Jesus. They lived a life of love and justice, not for gain, not for posturing, but because it was right. Do we do the same? Will we do the same? I mean, I wonder, have, have you had a moment where you were so preoccupied with being on the right side? Like, that was everything in your purview. You had tunnel vision. And it made you to not act on something that would have surely tra- changed your trajectory, right? You bullied someone to feel cool. You belittled someone to make yourself feel better about yourself. You pulled the priest move in the Good Samaritan or the Zane move that Aaron mentioned last week. You chose not to help someone in need and instead ignored them. And then you found out it came at a cost. Not just for them, but for you. Y'all, I'm thankful this morning that we can choose another way. Jesus is reminding us that there is something stirring right here, right now. And of course, I know, y'all, Jesus is in tune with the future, right? Like, he knows He knows he's going to return. He knows he's going to make all things right. And I can't wait for that. But that's not his only concern here. Or at least that concern is connected to a concern that's on the other side of the coin, equally pressing. Because there's a warning here, right? If we read the Bible only from one context we realize that the Bible is reading us in the same way we read it. I mean, if we come to this text thinking it's only about future judgment or it's only about the argument of salvation and works, we miss the whole picture urgently breaking into our timeline. The picture that Jesus is knocking on our door right now. He entered into that church lobby and there's an impending judgment happening. The least of these who are often unseen or actively worked against, Jesus himself, the one in poverty, the one killed by the powers that be, he is here and ready to change everything we are. Everything we're willing to risk, everyone we're willing to serve, and everyone even we're willing to be served by. The question is, are we ready? Are we ready for that? Are we ready to picture a beautiful picture on the horizon that is a picture of the kingdom of God, not as some place in the future, but as here? Y'all, Jesus, I think, clearly has this in mind as he's speaking here in the end of Matthew. And a professor and pastor, Barbara Lundblad puts this so well, and I think it fits fits this series, it fits what we're trying to understand. And she says, we live in a double-exposed photograph in which the last day and the present day are part of the same picture. I mean, we wonder when and where will the reign of God come? And Jesus told us in his first public words in Matthew, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Judgment is happening all the time. Righteousness is happening all the time. And Jesus is with us all the time. Jesus has been talking these last few chapters, if you look in Matthew, about what it will look like when he returns. But that's only part of the story. I mean, when we only see this passage speaking metaphorically about final judgment, we get so fixated on this picture of life with Jesus that we miss Jesus being here now. It's the same picture. We just struggle sometimes to wait for the second exposure. The exposure that reveals to us waiting on Jesus to return where he will champion our right belief isn't enough. Jesus is calling us to take care in the present, in this moment. We don't serve someone who is poor and suffering only to commune with Jesus or to bide time as we wait for our reward. We serve people because it's just. We're called to alleviate suffering in ways we can. And the thing is, sometimes, you know, we use this passage to incite fear. We say, get on the right side or else. We, we do this and we miss an opportunity to share a pretty picture. A painting, a picture of what's possible now, even when it seems blurred and unseemly. In our world, and sometimes wrongly in the church, and by me personally, right, We use fear to gain control, to gain power, relational advantage, conditional love, for advancement of agendas. But when we read this passage with full trust in the king, the one who sits on the throne, we throw up our hands and we risk it all. Our focus shifts from a fear-based discipleship to the beautiful possibility of participating in the kingdom of God right now. In the grocery store, in the local prison, or on our street corner, Jesus is there. y'all, in the in the middle of my time at seminary, just a fancy word for preparing to be a minister, uh, I had an internship that just broke me and built me up at the same time, right? Isn't that how it goes?? <laughs> Things break you and build you up at the same time. You learn a ton, and I just remember it so clearly. My my grad school paired me uh, with a place called the Methodist Home for Children. Um, this place was in Raleigh, North Carolina, a nonprofit that focuses on uh, juvenile justice and the foster care system. Their motto is, every child deserves a chance. And after spending time with their director, he told me, you hate when people say this to you, right? I got a perfect place for you. <laughs> It's a crisis and assessment center for juvenile offenders. (laughs) And my first thought was, that doesn't sound perfect to me. But I said, okay. I was terrified, but I just thought to myself, I got to do it to graduate. It'll look good on the resume. I don't really want to do it, but I can make it. And I remember walking into that place first time. A tiny school like prison for 11 and six to 16 year olds, 20 foot high fences with barbed wire on top. You're locked in or locked out depending on where you stand. And I'm this mid-20s white student who came to pastor a community of, students, of teens of color who had experienced trauma that I, I can't imagine. And guess what? I get to leave a few hours after I get there. They don't have that choice. And the first day went about how you might think it would go. Uh, I walked into a tiny bulletproof glass schoolroom of all things, and I brought one thing that I thought would be a starting point. And the caveat is I had no idea what would be a starting point there, right? I brought the Lord's Prayer. And I mean, it was chaos. (laughs) Angry words strewn across the room, no way that we would ever get to a place of quiet. I handed every teen and counselor a copy of the prayer, and I thought, I want to just show them this prayer, because Jesus used it to show the disciples how to pray. And I remember as I started, I looked at the counselors, and it was like they were saying, good luck. (laughs) Our Father who art in heaven, I stopped Thought I'd chat about it for a little bit, and before I knew it, two teen boys were using some choice words at me, (laughs) and a teen girl decides she didn't like them disrespecting me, so she decides to use those same choice words to the two boys, and they start, in essence, a three-person brawl with chairs flying. That was the end of day one. And I think y'all probably can imagine what I was feeling, uh, at least a little bit. I mean, I spent the next two days dreading the moment uh, that I would have to walk back in that place, and, and I felt unequipped, right? Like, it wasn't because of who the teens were, but simply because who I was or wasn't. I didn't know how to make a difference. And yet I remember the second day, everything changed. God convinced me to go back, and this time I brought with me a story. The story of one of, one of Jesus' most faithful sheep, Paul. The Paul who persecuted Christians. The Paul who related to their stories in ways that I couldn't. The Paul who was beaten and imprisoned. The Paul who changed his ways and gave his life for the least of these. And along with it, I, be, I brought the very first part of the serenity prayer. Some of you may know this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I shared with them how this Paul, often in prison, who wrote the letter to the Philippians, was so intricately connected to their life. He knew what they felt. He knew what they experienced. Paul was no stranger to trauma. And I simply asked them two questions. What can't you change about your circumstances and what got you here? And what do you have the courage to change? And the Holy Spirit took over. The kids that found themselves calling me everything in the book two days ago shared with me the trauma of abuse that they experienced at home and their hope for what could be different in the future with help. One wanted to own his own barbershop. One wanted to play in the NBA. Both wanted to be there for their future families. Their hope was to be brave and to break cycles of poverty, of violence. And in all honesty, it's in that moment where this text became too real. The reality of the kingdom of God right here and right now pressed in on me. I dreaded seeing those kids that day. But little did I know I was actually going to see Jesus. I was the one in poverty who needed them. I missed for so long that the reality that Christ's presence has no bounds. I needed them to show me a different way, a way of peace in a world of trauma. And I remember this so clearly. One of, the, one of the staff members pulled me aside after it, and he was like, what was that? How did you do that? We've never had a moment like that. And I remember saying something like this, I could never do this. That's Jesus amongst us, healing hurts that are festering in all of us, painting a picture of what could be. And I was shaken in the best way. Y'all, when we go into uncomfortable places, we will bump into Jesus in ways that will change every part of us. Where posturing goes out the window and we're stuck with our genuine full selves. When Jesus visits you in the prison of your own making, he will free you to abundant life. To see that the kingdom isn't just near, it is here. Y'all know this, so often we get in this place where we can't can't do anything but ask, Jesus, when are you coming back? I need you to come back. And this is even how we got to the point of this text the disciples were having the same questions everything was breaking down around them and they were saying what what will be the signs of your coming God and like them we get so fixated on the future reality especially in the midst of a world we see crumbling around us that we miss the reality that Jesus is here We miss the reality that we're called to respond to injustices and suffering in the world by serving those around us. This is, this is so important in this text because the sisters and brothers, the least of these that Jesus speaks of, they are not metaphorical people. They are not metaphorical people who help us measure whether we've done enough to end up on the right side of history. They are real brothers and sisters who we are called to love. And this Jesus, who is among them, who bore their suffering in his own body to relay to the world that the Son of Man has always been among the least vulnerable. This Jesus is no metaphor either. He is God with us. A king who lives among his subjects and meets us in brokenness and suffering. A king among his subjects. Y'all, the call this morning is to wake up. Jesus is showing us in the most up in our business kind of way that we need to wake up to the needs of others. Jesus is here in disguise. He's, he's in the beggar, he's in the refugee, he's in the exploited child, he's in the first time visitor, he's in the depressed, he's in the illegal immigrant, he's in the longtime church member. And if we see the world as Jesus sees it, we will bump into Jesus time and time again. And when you bump into someone who is struggling, when you bump into someone who is poor in spirit or poor in finances, just know you are bumping into God. We know this. We We can't choose to talk and text or social media people into meeting Jesus. Service and grace and action do that. And y'all, I know we talk about this a lot. Like I said, we, we always talk about, man, I can't wait to meet Jesus someday. But Jesus is telling us we need to meet him today. We need to meet him today. As we close this morning, these words of Stanley Hauerwas, I think, (laughs) ring so true. He said, The difference between followers of Jesus and those who don't know Jesus is that those who have seen Jesus no longer have any excuse to avoid the least of these. They no longer have any excuse to avoid the least of these. In other words, When Christ calls us to be fisher of people, when Christ himself pulls us out of the ditch, beaten and battered, when you see the fullness of Jesus change and rearrange everything you know, you can't go back to the way it was. If you were fully on board with Jesus, you can't help but risk it all. Even if it takes you to the shadows of a prison hidden from our consciousness, to the bright lights and loud noises of the toddler nursery down the hall or into a hard conversation with your teenager. This morning, I want to invite you to consider taking a risk that's a bit unknown and maybe comes at a cost. Whether that's in this church, whether that's in the community, whether it's in your job, how can you serve in a way that Jesus is calling you to? Jesus paints a picture of what's to come. But it's blurry and not fully realized. But Jesus also exposes the clearest picture of what's right in front of us. An opportunity to live out our faith right now. If we don't, we may never meet the Jesus we claim to follow a cost that will find us in a metaphorical type of hell, removed from the kingdom of God that is here and active. Because Jesus' mission for us is clear. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I'm going to invite Chris Wigginson to come up for the blessing, and I'm going to close us in prayer. God, we have seen a king in Jesus who is not like the kings of this world. A king who brings real peace, who sees the needy, who hears the cries of the oppressed. And God, we want to bear witness to Christ as king. My prayer this week is that we might bump into Jesus for the first time or the first time in a while in a way that can't help but change us. Bump into us over and over Amen.